Have you ever felt like chasing success only leads to unfulfillment? Are you chasing the temporary or living with an eternal perspective? Be careful. It's easy to live life like you're chasing the wind. Over this three-part series, Pastor Jimmy teaches from Ecclesiastes on how you can live a life with meaning and purpose. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. Do me a favor. Help me welcome all of our first-time guests, both in the room and those of you online. So glad to have you guys worshiping with us. Well, I'm so glad to be back with you. I hope you're glad to have me back, but don't respond to that because I just just don't want to know. Uh, just went on a, a little celebration of my 25th anniversary with my wife, took a little vacation. Yay. That's pretty awesome. And uh, then I've uh, been doing a little bit of work on a new series that we're about to start in just a moment. Before we do that, I want to point out the announcement you just heard about First Step. We actually have had a huge number of guests while I was gone, which might mean I picked a really bad time to go on vacation. But hey, if you are new to Grace Life, would love to invite you out right after the second service today. So if you're in the building at the moment, that means that uh, you can go grab a coffee or something and come back about noon. We'll have uh, free lunch, free child care. Would love to tell you more about who we are as a church. What do we do? Why do we do it? And get to have a conversation and uh, answer any questions you have. Those of you online, you have plenty of time to actually get out of your pajamas, take a shower, and get on over here by noon as well. So uh, look forward to meeting some of you today. Well, as I said, we're starting a new series, and, and I did come back from vacation and had a staff member say, hey, you're back, new series, what are you doing? And I said, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, and they went, oh, I hate that book. <laughs> so today we're starting a three-part series, uh, three big ideas out of the book of Ecclesiastes. Anybody ever read Ecclesiastes here? Anybody? Okay, how many of you want to do that again? Here you go, a lot less hands than the first time around. Uh, the truth is Ecclesiastes can be an incredibly confusing book that does cause some people to say, oh, I hate that book. On the other hand, I have a friend of mine who says it is their favorite book of the entire Bible. <clears throat> That's saying a lot because there's some good stuff in the Bible, right? But if you have read it, it, it can be confusing. Uh, the author seems sometimes to be a little skeptical about life. Uh, some people have suggested the author is even bipolar, just to be honest. Uh, and, and some commentaries uh, definitely suggest the author is depressed at moments. So who is this author? Well, the truth is we don't know for sure that uh, he simply identifies himself as the preacher, one of the great kings of Israel. Now, there are a lot of clues throughout the book, and so a lot of people, I'm one of them, happen to believe that this great king of Israel, who is a preacher of wisdom, happens to be King Solomon. After all, he wrote most of the book of Proverbs that's also in the Bible. So uh, if you'll forgive me, at times throughout the series, it's very likely I'll just refer to the author is Solomon, because that's, that's what I believe, if that's okay with everybody. If you don't believe that, you just substitute whatever name that you would like to in that place. But at this point, Solomon, or the preacher, has, has had it all. They've, they've been through life, they've, they've done everything, and they're, they're kind of asking, what's the point? What's it really all for? And so how you see the author's state of mind is going to determine whether you love or hate this book. Everything is going to come down to how you see this. So if you see the author as some do, and, and let me give you an image of maybe someone who is uh, at the, the bar at last call, and they are kind of crying over an empty drink. They've had too many to count, and they're a little depressed about the point of life and 
well, they would just be probably happy enough if this was the day when they went on to heaven. If you read the book as though that's the state of the author, then you're going to hate the book of Ecclesiastes. If on the other hand, you see the author differently, you're gonna love the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I'd like to suggest for you an option of how to potentially see the author in this book. I'd like to suggest to you to imagine a grandfather sitting in his rocking chair on his porch and, as any good grandfather does, drinking sweet tea. It's been a very full day. It's been one of those big family days. Matter of fact, the first time that anybody can remember the entire family getting together. All in all, it was about 100 people. I mean, all of his kids have gathered, his grandkids, his great-grandkids, and he's actually even got two great-great-grandkids because, after all, he's well into his 90s at this point. And it's the end of the day, and it's, it's, it's been a really good day, but if you've ever been to one of those family days, as good as the day is, it's exhausting, right? I mean, you're having all of these conversations and trying to be friendly with third cousins you haven't seen in a decade and everybody else, you're chasing the kids, making sure they don't wander into the, the pond and everybody's got to keep the fried chicken flowing, of course, and you can't run out of tea. So, I mean, it's been a great day, but it's just been kind of exhausting. And so this is the point in the day where those with the young kids have either gone back to the hotel or upstairs, wherever it is, they're actually going to stay for the night. And a few people have gathered on the porch Grandfather took his rocking chair, and a few others are on the steps, as you can imagine, and a couple others in the other rocking chairs. The, the two fastest, of course, got the swing because everybody loves the porch swing. And the sun is setting, and no one's really talking because it's been an exhausting day. The temperature's finally going down, and uh, they've all got their tea, and they're just enjoying a breeze and a little bit of rest. And then out of the blue, without prompting, definitely without asking permission, Grandpa just begins to talk, just begins to say what he wants to say and expects everybody to listen as old men do sometimes, especially a wiser, reflective old man who's got something to say. He's speaking as though this opportunity is a once-in-a-lifetime chance, probably will never come again. He's hoping to impart some sort of wisdom from what he's seen in life and the search that he's been on and the conclusion that he finally landed upon. His discourse takes pretty much a half hour straight. And during this half hour, no one dares interrupt. And don't misunderstand me, they would love to because they all have questions. Uh, he, he says things that honestly are confusing. Some of them seem to contradict things he said about five minutes ago. And they know some of the things he's saying definitely contradict things that he's said his entire life and the things that he lives for. But no one interrupts. And the good news is when he gets to the end, he has something to say that brings it all together. And all the questions suddenly fade away and it all makes sense. And the wise get it. Well, let's go back to the beginning where Grandpa began and started to confuse everybody. His opening line well, it's a toughie. It started out with him saying, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? I mean, I don't know about you, but it, it does seem a little depressing. It, it seems a little like Grandpa saying, man, I've lived a long life, and it was 
vanity. It was a waste. I'd be happy if I went on to heaven today. It seems like there was no purpose. Again, how you see the author's state of mind will determine if you love this book. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. Actually, a lot of it comes down to this word vanity. Some of you, the versions that you have, your Bible, uses the English word meaningless. And it says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And, and to be completely fair, the English word meaningless and the English word vanity are both accurate and fair translations. But for the fun of it, let's go back a little further because the Hebrew word, the one that he's actually using is pavel. And it was used 38 times in this tiny little book of the Bible, over half of all the times it's used throughout the entire Bible. That was the nerd moment for some of you here today. And if he's going to use a word that much, it must matter, don't you think? And what this, this Hebrew word actually means, not meaningless necessarily the way we see it, not vanity the way we see it. Matter of fact, meaningless to us is bad. Has anyone ever come to you and said, that's meaningless, and it was a compliment? Has anyone ever said such vanity and it was a compliment? Because vanity for us comes out of pride, and pride, of course, can't be good. But the Hebrew word actually at its root just means vapor. It just means that it's like trying to catch something in your hand, and, well, even if you succeed, you don't. And he's saying that if you miss the point of life, that all of life is really like chasing the wind and trying to catch a vapor in your hand. So what is that point? Well, he makes that point in his closing statement, which of course, for those who are willing to sit through his 30-minute speech, it all makes sense to them. But most of us have never sat down and listened to Grandpa, the entire book of Ecclesiastes, from beginning to end. And when we get it in bits and pieces and we just read vanity and vanity, all is vanity, well, we think the author's depressed and the point of life doesn't make much sense. But he makes his point. We'll get to that throughout the series. Matter of fact, my hope is that as we go through the series that the point is made abundantly clear over and over as we do this. I'm going to do my best to help you see what he is getting at. If you've got your Bibles, obviously we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're at the very beginning. You can follow along, but don't worry. We're going to go through so many verses today. Just to be fair, it's probably going to be easier for you if you just follow along on the screen. So let's go back to Grandpa and his observation of life, because I personally read the book as someone who is reflecting, who is thinking, and really does have some wisdom to offer, especially after you've Listen to the entire thing in one sitting. I'd, I'd encourage you to do that somewhere throughout the series. He begins again, as we said, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is just like trying to catch a vapor. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And he goes on, but I'll paraphrase to say, uh, people come and, and people go. and The sun comes up and then the sun comes down. The wind blows south only to turn around and blow north. The rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. The eye is never satisfied with what it sees. The ever ear is never filled with what it hears. And he concludes with, what has been is what's going to be. Hate to tell you that what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. He's a poet too. 
Now, at this point, a lot of people start thinking, oh, my gosh, what a depressing book. I'm only nine verses in, and I've got 11 chapters to go. But again, I, I don't think it's that at all. I think what he's saying is that, well, when you look around, this is true. People do come and people do go, and, and yeah, the wind does blow every direction. If you don't find the meaning, if you don't get the point, then there won't be anything new. What's it all for? So he begins a quest to answer the question, what's it all for? Here's what he tells us. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and all of Jerusalem, and so I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Statements like that do seem a little confusing, don't they? I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it's, it's all like trying to catch a vapor in your hand. It's a chasing after the wind. And so I applied my heart to know wisdom, even to know madness and folly, and I perceived, well, this also is just striving after the wind. What he is trying to say is after all of the pleasure, all of the toil, all of the rewards, none of that was ever enough. It never fulfilled until, until I discovered what it's all for. And so the question for us, what we're going to be talking about, the whole point of this series is really to help us be people who don't spend a lifetime chasing the wind. I certainly hope that you're one of those people that would like to say, please, Jimmy, tell me what is the point because I don't want to be the old man in his rocking chair in his 90s or old woman and discovering that all I've done is chase the wind. Anybody with me on that one? Good. So let's see what Solomon has discovered about life And I'm going to give you two questions that I think will really help us make sure that we don't waste our lives chasing the wind. And the first one is this. We have to ask ourselves, what are you chasing? What what are we after? What are we putting so much toil and energy, as he says, into? He goes on a search for really the same things we do. Are you after wisdom and knowledge? Are you one of those people that's that's going to get a degree, to get another degree, to get another degree, and on your way to work, you listen to a podcast so that on the way home, you can listen to the the sequel. Look, wisdom in itself is not bad. Here's what Solomon says. He says, so I turned to consider wisdom. Matter of fact, I turned to consider madness and folly. And then I saw there is more gain in wisdom than folly. My life was better off when I was being wise, is what he's trying to say. But then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will also happen to me. The wise dies just like the fool. Turns out being wise at the end is not enough. Did make life better, but it's not what it's all about. Are you after pleasure and self-indulgence? He said he did the same. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. I love how he throws it. I did not get too drunk, everyone. (laughs) I searched how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I mean, I just imagine that sentence. I I, I searched out folly to see what would be enjoyable. At this moment, I I imagine the king jumping from the balcony of the, the kingly palace in Jerusalem into one of those pools that he had below and doing a cannonball, big splash, all the way up to the second floor and the queen going, stop it. He's going, yeah, you're right, it wasn't worth it. Big splash, now it's over. 
Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was actually my reward. But then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expended it in doing it. Man, it was exhausting. And behold, this was just vanity. It was trying to catch a vapor and striving after the wind. Turns out there's nothing to be gained. All that I gave myself, it wasn't enough either. It was always just wanting more. Are you after accomplishment? Like, like you work to get promoted, to, to do great things, to feel good about what you do, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. He says, look, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. So then I had to make for myself pools from which to water this entire forest of growing trees. But sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill well, they just have to leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't toil for it at all. Just chasing vapors. Maybe it's wealth that you're after. He says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I don't know about you. I finally got a little bit of savings in the bank, and I would not say that I've got the treasure of kings. No, most kings have. He had so much, and he discovered but he who loves money won't be satisfied with money because just as he came, so he's going to go. <laughs> nothing, and he'll take nothing away. So what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? He says, I have all the money I could ever want. My, my savings account equals a king's treasury. I've got so much. I've built everything. I've paid for all the materials. I've bought everything. I've got so much now I can't even spend it, and I can't take it with me. What good is that? just chasing the wind. Maybe you're after significance. He says, I became great and surpassed who were all before me in Jerusalem. But behold, it was all a vanity, just chasing the wind. The question for us is, what are you chasing? What are you chasing? And have you caught it? Have you caught any of it? I hope you've caught some of it. And the question then is, what did it cost you? And, and was it worth it? Has it, it, it cost maybe marriages? Has it cost families? Has it cost precious relationships? Has it cost children that no longer speak to us because we spent a lifetime chasing after something? What? What has it cost us? What are you chasing? I just told you I, I took a vacation with my wife. We celebrated our 25th anniversary in the Caribbean. It was wonderful. White sand and blue water. You can see fish in your toes. Nothing like Myrtle Beach where it's just like a brown pond. <laughs> it was great. The food was amazing. Our children were on another continent. <laughs> Didn't need a watch. Didn't have to check email. It was an amazing trip. But here's the thing. People keep saying, did you really get away from all of the worry? Did you get away from all the stress? Are you coming back refreshed? Well, I mean, my wife and I got to have a great time together, being grateful for the 25 years. But you need to understand, we didn't take the trip to get away from life. One to two weeks a year on a Caribbean island will not erase 50 weeks of a chase that you hate. 
I hope to give somebody permission today. If you wake up every day of your life and you hate what you are about to do that day, then stop the chase. Quit chasing something that that is not fulfilling. Quit chasing something that you hate so much. Life is short. And Grandpa has reached a point where he's saying, if you don't get the point, the chase is meaningless. What are you chasing? I spend a lot of time talking to people. That's one of the things that comes with being a pastor. And I get into a lot of conversations. And, well, the truth is I've talked to a few people who They've, uh, they've chased things, and, and they caught them, and, and they figured out they weren't quite worth it. And, and you know, for some people, it's just a, a moment of sadness. They realize, well, that was, that was a little bit of wasted time, maybe even a little wasted money, but uh, it's okay. We're going to start again. Unfortunately, sometimes I, I have to talk with some who it's been a little more expensive, and Things are a little bit broken. And as they look over life and, and they wonder, what are they chasing and was it worth it when they caught it? You, you've seen people like this. Matter of fact, maybe some of you have been there. Some of you might be there. We, we politely simply just try to pass it off as a midlife crisis. You ever heard of, of people having a midlife crisis? And, and we think that it's really all about an age. Everybody at about the middle point of life has a lot of questions and they go through this crisis. Jim Dobson puts it this way. He says, well, the truth is it's more about a wrong value system than their age. All of a sudden, you realize that the ladder you've been climbing is leaning against the wrong wall. What are you chasing? To the best that I can tell, we're apparently chasing stress because we've all caught it. (laughs) You know, one thing that we all have in common is I have conversations with people, we're all tired, like genuinely tired. You talk to people, hey man, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, how you really doing? Well, pastor, I said, I'm tired. Everybody's tired. We're tired of the chase. I've never met a person. Uh, let me take it back. I don't remember meeting a person. There may have been one. One of you may be the weird person, but I have yet to really meet that person that goes, oh, I'm not tired. I got so much energy. I can't wait to tackle another miserable day. I mean, actually, I just wish, I wish the devil would just bother me more. Maybe I could get sick. Maybe something could go wrong. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, life is just so easy, so good, so peaceful. No, no one's ever answered that question that way, ever, to me at least. Everybody's always like, well, a little tired. What are you chasing? And is it worth it? Now, here's the deal. You'll never find meaning in what. So the question that I really want to leave you with today, because what you're chasing, it matters. It's a good question to ask. But the better question to ask is, why are you chasing it? What do you hope to gain? by all of your toil under the sun? Are you after satisfaction? Are you after enjoyment? Here's the good news. God gave us life to enjoy, and and Solomon or Grandpa, whoever your author is in your mind at the moment, makes the point that God wants us to enjoy this life. So we're gonna dedicate an entire part of this series to how to enjoy life without it being meaningless and vanity. Are you after significance, like feeling good about yourself. Well, we just heard Solomon had it all. 
Matter of fact, if Solomon is the author, then you need to know that kings and queens from all over the world came to just hear him talk because of his wisdom. He was as significant as it could get. Is it pride and ego? Can I just be honest? You know what a lot of us, when we chase, you know why? Solomon even told us, or at least the preacher told us, it was the same thousands of years ago. Keeping up with the Joneses. Except it was probably keeping up with the Goldsteins or something like that at the time. But he says, then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work. It come from a man's envy of his neighbor. The Schmitz had two donkeys, so we had to get two donkeys. And by the time we got two donkeys, they had a third. It's never enough. Your next door neighbor or your co-worker or your best friend from high school, he reaches that midlife crisis and discovers his ladder is against the wrong wall, so he decides to pursue another thing like fun and reward for all of his years of hard work. So he gets a Camaro. And you look at your wife and say, honey, I'm kind of tired of the beat up truck. Can, can I get a Camaro? And so you save for a year to make the down payment on the Camaro. And then you drive in the driveway and you look over at your neighbor and he traded for a Corvette. Good luck with that. Now you save for three years to get a Corvette and he's upgraded to a Porsche, also bought a Harley and a boat. You will never catch up. And if you're that guy, the only people that care about what you have is apparently an unhealthy person in their soul that lives next door. So why are either of you chasing it? What are you going to get for all of the toil under the sun? If you want to know a why that's worthwhile, ask yourself this. Will it last? That's what the Bible says. Each one's work, each one's toil, each one's what they are chasing will become manifest for the day. We'll disclose it because it'll be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, well, that'll survive. He receives a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, then he will suffer loss. You see, sometimes because we believe Jesus died for us, we forget that we will give an account for our lives. You see, here's the good news. Jesus died. His death on the cross paid for our sins. We will not have to stand before God and try to justify our sin. Jesus has covered that one. And so sometimes in our theology, we have a misunderstanding that while all of the unsaved people are answering to God, we're going to be down the golden street having ice cream with sprinkles. But we won't. Because there is the judgment of faith as to how you get into heaven. Some people will have a difficulty with that. People who know that Jesus Christ died for them, all they've got to do is say, Jesus did it all. But then everyone... Everyone, even those who are in heaven because of Jesus, will have to give an account for their lives on the day. I hope this is a sobering thought, but I need every one of us, if not today, tomorrow morning or next week, to, to just imagine yourself at that moment in that conversation and, and imagine you and God face to face 
as you enter heaven. And he looks at you and says, what'd you chase? Did you catch it? Was it worth it? And there are good answers. Well, God, I worked really hard. For one, I knew I was representing you. Didn't want to be lazy and get fired. That wouldn't be good for your glory. So I worked hard. I did. Even got promoted. Oh, what'd you do with that? Get a bigger office? Name on the door? Well, I mean, maybe, but here's the cool part. I got to be in charge. And so what I did is I changed the spiritual environment where I worked. I began to declare that where I go, the kingdom of God comes with me. And since I had the keys now, I came in a half hour early every day and I prayed over every cubicle and, and I, I let the rumor get out that prayer was before if you wanted to come and join me. And, and actually over time, as people were frustrated with life, they would come to those of us that came early for prayer and ask questions. And well, once it was all said and done, God, the truth is, I brought a lot of coworkers with me here today, God. So yeah, it was worth it. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. See, the question is, are you building your kingdom? Are you building his? I want to be very clear. There is nothing wrong with the Caribbean vacation. There's nothing wrong with a Camaro. Well, actually, I don't like them. Nothing wrong with a Corvette or a Porsche. <laughs> nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with having advanced degrees. Nothing wrong with getting promoted. Nothing wrong with being good at what you do. Nothing wrong with enjoying the life God has given you. Like I said, we'll spend a whole part on that. So what's it all for? You see, if we never lose sight of what's eternal... Are you building your kingdom or are you building God's? Because one is temporary and makes no difference. The other one changes the world and lasts forever. You see, you can make a big deal about you while driving a Porsche, and you can also drive a Porsche as you send a lot of people to heaven. It's not about what you drive. It's not about what you spend. It's not about how much you have. Didn't call any of that bad, nor did the preacher. The preacher just says, if that's all you're living for, you're going to figure out it's just a vapor once you get there. There's a little more to it than that. So I'm going to leave you with a story. Honestly, it is such a really cool story. I could have just read that and you'd have been done a long time ago. An American businessman on vacation at a resort nestled in a small fishing village on a Caribbean island was watching with interest from his beach chair every morning as he saw the same man come ashore in a small fishing boat carrying one large fish. Never two. Just one large fish. After a few days, curiosity got the best of this businessman, and so he approached the fisherman, and he asked, why one large fish? And, well, the man replied, every day I get in my boat and I go out to a spot where I know I can catch large fish. If I catch a small one, I just throw it back until I catch one large fish. Once I catch the large fish, I come back to the village and I sell it. And with what I make, I can provide for my family for the entire day. I spend the rest of the day 
playing on the beach with my kids. Businessmen asked, are there more fish in this spot? Could you catch more if you wanted to? The fisherman replied, there are more fish than anyone could catch. I could catch many more if I wanted to, but I only need one in order to provide for my family so that I can then spend the rest of the day playing on the beach with my children. Before he went off to sell his fish, the businessman inquired as to how much the fisherman made for his fish and then let him go his way. After that, the wills and the businessman's head began to turn, as you would imagine, and spent the next two days of his own vacation doing research so that he could help this poor little fisherman. Once his research was completed and his business plan was constructed, the businessman waited for the fisherman on the shore with such excitement. And as soon as he saw him exit the small boat, he ran up to him and said, Hey, I've got an idea for you. Wait till you hear this. Each day, stay at sea until you catch ten fish. And sell all ten and use the sale of the one fish to provide for your family. And then the proceeds from the other nine you save. And after approximately one year, you'll be able to buy a bigger boat. And with a bigger boat, you should be able to catch upwards of 25 fish in an eight-hour day. And again, you'll use the sale of one fish to provide for you and your family. And then at the end of approximately one year, you should be able to expand your business by one boat per year, factoring in paying additional fishermen and repairs on the boats. But after 10 years of that, you'll have a small fleet of 11 total boats. And by my calculations, of course, upgrading your standard of living, including buying a house and a car, projected increase of lifestyle, both of which, of course, are going to slow down the growth of your business. You should be able to retire completely in 22 years. And the fisherman says, what do I do then? Well, then anything you want. Maybe spend the day playing on the beach with your grandchildren because your children will be gone. We need to be very careful. It's remarkably easy to spend a life chasing the wind. Can I pray for you? God, we come to you today to say we are little children. You are our Father. And every now and then we need to be reminded that it's easy to spend life just playing in the sandbox and chasing the wind, not quite understanding what it's all for. We thank you, God, that you created us to have meaning and to have purpose, as well as to have enjoyment. So I pray right now for every one of us that you will give us vision to see what are we chasing and why are we chasing it? Are we building something that'll last or is this also just here today and gone tomorrow? God, I think I can speak for every one of us and pray. God, would you cause us to live lives that matter? If you're just in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. The truth is you, you cannot live for what lasts if you are not going to last. You, you cannot build a kingdom that you're not a part of. You see, we enter God's 
kingdom and we discover our purpose when we get in touch with our creator, when we recognize the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers. He came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross. And because of that, we can have what we call salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And then the same supernatural power of the Father that raised him from the dead is the same power that gives us eternal life. If you've never made that exchange, I wanna help you do that wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so, now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you help me celebrate with those people, everybody?